Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach podcast. Um, I wanted to let you all know that this episode will be airing just past 529 day. Uh, Do you get it? May 29th, 529. It's nice to know that financial aid officers are also capable of dad jokes. Um, Speaking of, (laughs) Alex Bickford, who, if any of you are watching the video, is here for our first segment. And um, he is here to discuss, as you might have guessed it, 529 plans. So we'll be turning to him in just a moment. Um, But before we get started, I also wanted to let you know about our second and third segments. Um, I'll be talking with Isabel Bober, who is Dartmouth class of 2004 and actually also a senior associate director there. So we love it when they stick around as well as Matthew Allender, Director of Admission at Princeton University. So I'm going to try and goad them into a serious debate about which is better. Obviously kidding about that. Both amazing institutions. Rankings are frankly kind of ridiculous. Um, uh, But we will talk about their differences and try and help students listening determine whether they might be a match for those institutions. But for now, back to Alex Bickford and 529 Plans and Dad Jokes. Welcome, Alex. So it's funny you mentioned dad jokes. We got together as a finance group two weeks ago, uh, and I had a colleague email afterwards and uh, was very nice and said, it was great to see you last week, and I really appreciated dad jokes. So listen, (laughs) you know, dad jokes, I think, dad jokes and dad vods. They're the way to go. Let's embrace it all. Uh, you know, and and gray hair too. Alex and I started around the same time in 2008. We both had brown hair then, and uh, that's that's gone by the wayside. We are we are now old, so that's okay. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start though. Um, let's not assume that everybody knows what a five two nine plan sure. is. So just a quick summary of what one is. So a 529 plan is one of the ways and probably the most popular way that the federal government sets up for parents or loved ones of children uh, to save for education. Uh, You're allowed to put in money uh, and allow it to grow tax deferred uh, Mm -hmm. and use it tax free for education. So the biggest benefit of the 529 plan is all the growth that you might have had in a traditional savings vehicle that might be taxed when you go to use it for education is tax-free when you use it for education. It just gives you bigger bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, and so, yes, I just want to highlight this too, because I talk to people regularly who say, well, why should I save for college? Because the colleges are just going to take, you know, use it against me, basically. And the 529 plan is a protected way to do that. So parent assets, including the 529 plan, uh, have a very small assessment rate. They ask for 3 to 6% of your assets to go towards the cost of education. So just to kind of give you an idea, if you save $100,000 in a 529 plan, they might ask you for $4,000 of that to go against the financial aid you may have received. Mm-hmm. $100,000 of income, they're going to ask for $20,000 of that. Right. So, to go against, uh, the, so income is a far bigger factor here in the 529 plan. The way they set that up was specifically designed to not discourage families from saving for college. Mm-hmm. All right, great. All right, so now let's dig into the topic of the day. Um, so you did the savings. You um, you put money away, just like we're all we're always hoping people do. Um, so how do you how do you use them? So let's start though with the market is down. There's a lot of volatility. I think people are pretty concerned. Would you hold off on spending your five two nine plan, or would you to allow the market to rebound? Like, what are your thoughts about that? So this is a really personalized question, and it's very dependent on, uh, I would say, the individual. But the first thing I would do is log in to your 529 plan. Let's see what the balance is. So let's see what was at a high, and let's see where it is now. Because depending on how you're invested in the 529 plan, the most popular way to invest is probably in what's called an age-based adjustment option that gets automatically more conservative as you're closer your child gets closer to college age. So what I find with a lot of the folks we work with is they'll log into the 529 plan and immediately see 
oh, this is not like my 401k that I'm still 20 years away from retirement. I'm actually much closer to using this. So it has not been impacted nearly as much uh, as maybe some of my other accounts have been. Uh, and so in that case, people feel a lot more comfortable using the money. Now, if you were in an investment option that was particularly aggressive and did suffer a big downturn, I would say, well, okay, how are you invested now? Are you still in a very aggressive option? And then we would discuss risk tolerance. So sure, does the market have an opportunity to rebound? Absolutely. Does the market have an opportunity to have further recession? Absolutely. And I'm not going to predict which yeah. way is going to go either way and claim <laughs> that I could. Uh, so we just talk about the pros and the cons of, of waiting uh, and, and holding it till now. One thing I like to look at, though, is what is your opportunity to use it later beyond this child? Mm -hmm. So is this your only child or your last child that's going to go to college? And if that's the case, there is a risk to holding it even beyond the risk of losing more money, which is the risk of what if your child changes their mind and decides that college isn't for them after a semester or a year? Uh, or what if your child gets a nice scholarship and you have money left over? So there are ways to use 529 plans otherwise, and I don't know if that's a segment for another day, but certainly there are other ways to do it, including repaying student loans and even putting some money into a Roth IRA, which is all great. But generally, I'm a fan of let's use the money that we have when we have it uh, and borrow the money that we need when we need it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say, look at your account first. Let's see where the balance is. If it hasn't been as drastically impacted as you might think, I would generally personally uh, be a fan of using it uh, to protect those other other reasons why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, especially with interest rates the way they are. You know, exactly. The cost of borrowing is not exactly cheap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what are the logistics of pulling money from your five two nine? Yeah, so there are a couple of ways to do that, um, and it really depends on what you're using it on. But let's just talk about paying the college directly. Uh, if you're looking to pay the college directly, you have a, a number of different options. So one would be to log into your 529 plan, give them the college's information, uh, your, and they will send the money automatically off to the college. So your hands won't touch the money, your child's hands won't touch the money, it'll go directly to the college. Uh, and as long as social security numbers and names match up, that'll be a very clean and simple uh, process. You also have the option of uh, taking money before you pay the college, getting the money to your bank account and turning around and paying the college. You could pay the college and have the, mon the money be reimbursed to you. Uh, and you actually could have the money go to the beneficiary if you wanted to and have them do that transaction as well. Uh, probably the least of the options that you'd want to do. Uh, but there are a number of different ways to do that. It's very simple through all the online platforms the 529 plans have to work that out pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right. So what is a student? Um, what about student indirect costs yeah. like technology? I mean, computers these days, super expensive, off-campus yeah. room and board. Yep. What about so that would be, Yeah, that would be the other side of uh, of the coin, which is less clean in that it's very easy to get the money out. You tell them that you want to take an X amount of dollars out. Uh, and uh, what will then happen is uh, the plan sends information off to the IRS that this person has withdrawn this amount of money. They're going to get a message from the school that says this person uh, had this much in qualified expenses. So what tends to happen with the off-campus stuff, the off-campus room and board, or the indirect cost is that you've already withdrawn for tuition uh, over here, uh, but then if you've withdrawn above that, the numbers don't match up. Mm -hmm. And so what's going to happen is the IRS is just simply going to send you a notification. This will likely be after your tax filing that says, hey, we have a discrepancy here. The college reported that you had $20,000 in costs and you withdrew $30,000. Uh, we just need a justification. And that's where holding on to those receipts for the books, for the laptop, or other technology expenses that you had, uh, or um, you know, rental arrangements, uh, things like that, just come in handy. Um, yeah, I had that happen when my son went to school. We took book costs out of the out of the 529 plan, and I had to just send in those receipts, and that was it. 
Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, I was a history major. The costs of my books were much, much less than my science major friends, for example. And they had additional lab costs sometimes. I mean, most of it was covered or included in the bill for the college, but they definitely had to pay more, um, you know, kind of in those incidental expenses than I did. So, um, all right. And so how does a family report this on their taxes? So actually, families don't, this is one of the great things about the 529 plan is that for most families, actually, you never even think about it, is that the school sends information out to the IRS, uh, 1098T, it's called, uh, your 529 plan administrator sends information off the IRS. If those things match up, you don't have to report it on your taxes, everything's okay, uh, and no, no harm, no foul there. The time that you, and so you will actually never report this on your taxes. It would be something that uh, the IRS is going to come back to you and ask you to justify a withdrawal. Uh, and if you had a non-qualified withdrawal, that would be when you have to kind of announce that, if you will. Uh, so it's about documenting the expenses that you had afterwards if they don't match up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And what if there's leftover money? Because I think probably a lot of people are concerned. What if I save too much, which is, let's face it, going to be unusual. But you referenced, you know, what if your student drops out or something like that happens, then maybe you do end up with extra. Yep. So I will say that it is rare, like you said, to to talk to somebody who has saved too much. Um, I'm an example of, quote unquote, oversaving. We have an older son uh, who went to a semester of college and decided just that college Mm -hmm. isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had money left over in the 529 plan. Now, fortunately for us, we have another child. Uh, Mm -hmm. So transferability would be the number one thing. If you have younger children uh, that you want to transfer that money to, uh, it's a very easy uh, transferable asset. Uh, It's other family members as well, including siblings, step-siblings, half-siblings, aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, first cousins, future generations, all those people. Pretty, uh, pretty broad. Okay. It is. The future generations would be the, the the next thing that I sort of point out is that if you're a parent and are comfortable not having that money as part of your maybe retirement fund uh, or things of that nature, transferring that down to future grandchildren, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very, very easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. A couple other ways uh, that you can use it. Uh, one would be that you can, if your student had any um, student loans that they took while in college, you can withdraw up to $10,000 from there for student loans. And that actually plan, once again, the transferability happened. So let's say you had an older child who had student loans and still has student loans. If you had money left over, you could transfer it up to the older child and have them pay $10,000 towards their student loans. Uh, In a new way that's coming out uh, as well, this is brand new, but up to $35,000 from the 529 plan can be deposited into the Roth IRA uh, of the beneficiary of the plan. Oh, nice. Um, so that's a really, really nice thing that they've added to really incentivize parents. So, okay, your child uh, had a little bit of money left over. Let's start a retirement fund for them. Uh, so that's a, a really new kind of thing and a really unique thing. The last thing I will say uh, is, let's just say all, all else fails. Uh, there's really two other options or three other options. First, I talked to somebody just last year that I thought was super uh, unique and really cool is that him and his uh, partner were retired. Uh, their last child went through college, had a little bit of money left over. Said, we're going to go to Europe. We're enrolling in a culinary school. We're going to learn to cook. Uh, and I said, how cool is that? Um <laughs> rare. Most people aren't going to do that, but I thought that was just kind of mm-hmm. a really cool and unique opportunity. You can take uh, a scholarship or other student aid withdrawal. Uh, so you'll still have to pay the taxes just on the earnings piece, but there's no penalty mm-hmm. for the withdrawal. And the last, you could take a pure non-qualified withdrawal, uh, which would be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate and a 10% penalty on the earnings piece. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say is that that withdrawal can go to either the account owner, who is typically the parent, mm-hmm. could go to the beneficiary, who is typically the student. Student's tax rate, if it typically far less uh, than the parent's tax rate, so you could save a little bit of taxes, kind of having your student take that non-qualified withdrawal. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that. Um... 
in Connecticut, I mean, my sister, I doubt there's not going to be money left in her yeah. 529 account. I should say my sister has a son in college yeah. um, and my niece and Alex actually worked with my sister. So he knows her financial situation. But my niece is um, um, on the autism spectrum, is going to need care for her entire life. And so any money that's left over, right. they can transfer into the account for my niece. So that's another hopefully not as common of a thing, but, you know, worth right. noting. The 529 ABLE plan. Right. right. That's, a, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always like to make sure people know about that too. All right. Well, I think that that is it for today, Alex. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me as always, Sally. Okay, great. All right. So um, Alex and I um, are going to say goodbye for now, and then I will come back and I will be welcoming Matt Allender of Princeton and Isabel Bober of Dartmouth. So we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And I am now speaking with Isabel Bober of Dartmouth College um, and Matthew Allender. And I realize, of Princeton, I should say, and I realize I didn't get your pronunciation. So I hope that I said your names right. You did a great job. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I wanted to make sure. So, um, so let's get into the nitty gritty. I mean, you guys must hate each other, right? Because you're at rival institutions. So let's let's get into the argument. You know, like which colors are more flattering, orange or green? Which is the That's better obvious. mascot? Like, like, yeah, um, tiger or big green? Like, I just realized that Dartmouth's mascot is big green, and it's a keg, right? No, it is, it is definitely That's not. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, there's like the the student path that like the it was actually a humor magazine that actually introduced that as part of the jack o' lantern, um, and they do kind of parodies to the student newspaper, and so they introduced that back in the early 2000s, um, and it's stuck with us um, as kind of a shadow mascot. But no, we are we are we're so confident we're just the big green, just the big green. <laughs> well, I have been to both Dartmouth and Princeton's campuses. They are both gorgeous, and I do remember loving Dartmouth's big big green as as it's called like so um all right but i think princeton clearly needs a leg up now you got any interesting facts about uh, you the know, tiger we, yeah I mean, we need we need to, to to work on our, our name um you know i should have looked up some tiger facts before i got on here um <laughs> you know i i can just say that we have a athletically though you know the sweet 16 in the ncaa tournament has sort of been our um our, our claim to fame this this year and so there's a lot of tiger pride happening on campus and around the country which is which is exciting 
even if not everybody likes the color orange, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean my birthday's around Halloween, so I've come to embrace the orange and black, but <laughs> it's a it's an acquired uh, acquired color palette, that's yeah. for sure. I actually love orange and never wear green, so I'm a kind of rare. I think most people <laughs> would prefer green. So I do um, think that I, the 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 Princeton P raid, which is like a, I mean, it's a fun tradition. I think that has forever changed my concept or how I think about a parade. It's like always a P raid. Yes, there's some fun go. traditions. I think at both places. Yes. <laughs> okay, tell me about the P raid. Is it just a parade that is a different name, or is there something special about that? Great question. So we have our re, um, Princeton reunions that are coming up this this actual weekend, um, and so we are expecting over around thirty thousand alumni and family members to come back to campus for three days starting tomorrow. I believe I'm sure some are already here. And if you don't know, people who went to Princeton love this place and have a deep, deep connection mm-hmm. to the community here and to the campus. And so they they love to come back. And every year at reunions, they have a P-Raid, which is a um, really just a march through campus of all of the alums who are back on campus from the just graduating class, so the class of 2023, all the way to our oldest living alum, who is, I'm sure, from the, the 1940s or 1930s. And so it's a it's a pretty interesting um, view of just how Princeton has changed over the years and mm-hmm. and to see just again how much love there is for this this place. Mm-hmm. You didn't okay. mention the outfits though. Each oh. class like oh, yeah. tell yes. me about the outfits. Oh, they have these like, amazing <sighs> outfits that are kind of themed and it's just it's yes, cool. there are they every class, especially at a major reunion, has a, a big theme. Um I don't know what any of them are this coming. Uh, this coming year or this coming weekend, but they are always get decked out. And on your 25th reunion, you get what what is called your reunion jacket, which is a um, brightly colored, we can say, blazer that you then wear at all reunion events. Um, I don't think it would fit in at any other um, sort of social event other than a Princeton reunion, but they are they are something to look at, that's for sure. Or maybe RuPaul's Drag Race. Ru- that, that would be, you know what, that, that would be would a great work. place for it. <laughs> Exactly. That should be next week's challenge. Yeah. (laughs) What people don't always realize is that you really landing in, I think Dartmouth and Princeton are actually really similar with this, with the connection that Mm -hmm. the uh, alumni feel back to the institution. And you, you're finding this kind of second home, this place that you return back to and you build this community that is not just for four years, but Mm -hmm. um, can really carry on. And I just, I, I don't think I realized that at all when I was thinking about college. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel really lucky that I I landed um, at Dartmouth that kind of, you know, shared that similarity with how the Princeton alums feel. We bleed green is what we say at Dartmouth. I like well, it. One thing I would say too, is both your institutions, neither of them are in major cities. They both feel very small town, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I actually, I, I kind of um, regularly push students to see how that's a positive because if you're in a big city, there sometimes is actually less community. Like students find it exciting. I can't argue that being in certain cities, like, wow, the entertainment opportunities, but like the thing is though, is you don't see all the same people all the time. Like there's a benefit to that community. It's so easy to make friends Mm-hmm. Um, and to form those connections. I mean, I there were people who I never had a class with, but I'd run into them in the library all the time and we would chat and we'd get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had a I had a friend who had transferred to my college. I went to Reed, which makes Dartmouth look l- large. Um, <laughs> and he had transferred from one of the UCs and I won't say which one, um, but he said, but, you know, they tend to be quite large. And he said, he would have these great conversations with people because obviously the other students were great and smart and interesting. And then he would never see them again to build on that friendship. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted you guys to address like how you feel the location like really benefits the community. Uh, if you agree with me. Certainly as well. I don't know if you want to start them or I'm happy to. Sure. No, I mean, I, you know, one of the things we we talk about is this small town vibe, but having real global reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, it's it I, it's understandable why people assume kind of institutions located in urban centers that urban equals access. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that access can happen. And I think just some of the conversation we've talked about so far with kind of the passion and engagement of our alums, not just in fun traditions, but also in kind of nurturing the next generation of graduates. Um, But I also, you know, 
for me, I had a moment where um, Dartmouth felt kind of Goldilocks for me. And I, the way I framed this with students is we have this big green that's at the center of campus. It's physically the center of campus, but I think also kind of like spiritually and at the soul, the center of the soul of campus. And, you know, you can walk across that green two or three weeks into your freshman year and you're going to recognize some people because you did a pre-orientation trip or someone in your dorm. But then you'll walk across that same green your senior year and there's still going to be people that you don't recognize. Mm -hmm. And for me, that felt like that Goldilocks moment, but that's my own preference. So I think some of it is also being really open and accepting of what kind of environment you do feel like you thrive in mm-hmm. um, and not listening to what people think you should want or that assumption of like urban equals access. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just ours, our, our setting is also just has such stunning natural beauty. And I did not think about the impact that having access to the outdoors and what that did for my own kind of personal mental health, like just kind of grounding myself when the snow first fell, I've always been an early bird and to walk out um, and be one of those first people that's kind of making footsteps in the snow, um, having access to the outdoors, you know, we utilize it, you know, through classroom experiences. Um, We have our own organic farm, we have a skiway, um, but there is really a nice kind of grounding that I think a lot of students find in our natural setting and all four seasons, which can be a really exciting change of pace for students who are coming, you know, from all around the country and the globe, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you go to a setting like that, too, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles and went to college in Portland, Oregon. I became an outdoorsy person when I hadn't really been that mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, Matt, let's let's talk about how that manifests itself at Princeton. Yeah, and I I guess it's made me think of two two things. One, it's it's and you hear this word a lot when you are looking at colleges and going through the application process, but finding a school that's the right fit. Um, you know, you have you're talking to two representatives from institutions that are you know highly regarded, and if you're looking at rankings, highly ranked and have name brands. Um, but we, despite our similarities, we are both very different places, and a student's going to have a very different experience at Princeton versus versus Dartmouth, or at Princeton versus another Ivy League, or at another mm-hmm. um, you know flagship public. And it's finding a place that is not only a great fit for you based on location and size, but in terms of academic offerings, um, you know, if you're looking for research opportunities or interaction with, with faculty, I firmly believe that you can get a good education at almost every school in the United States, but you might not thrive at every single place because they they mm-hmm. offer very, very different things. And so I say that because, again, I think Princeton is different than some of our, our peers, but mm-hmm. to get the best sense of a place, it's to, to visit and come to campus and to get a sense of what it's like to be here, to walk into buildings, um, to see how students are interacting with, with one another, um, because we are a residential campus community. Like you said, we are not next to a major urban center. Unlike Dartmouth, though, we don't have mountains right next to us. Um, New Jersey is relatively flat uh, compared to New Hampshire. And, you know, we are close to New York City and to Philadelphia. So those are some some differences that you'll that you'll see. But I would say for students, you know, finding a place that's the right fit and and if you're able to to visit campus and and get a feel for what that community is like is the the best way to see if that's a a good fit for for you. Yeah, without a doubt. And I like one of the things that I think is so great about this is that I know that both of you would talk, like, would say that there's so many great colleges and Princeton isn't for everyone and Dartmouth isn't for everyone. So maybe we can kind of, like, I definitely want to touch on academics, obviously, but let's, how do you, when you're talking to students, how do you push them to go beyond the rankings? Because when I talk to students, it's very hard for them to do that. You know, they'll say, well, it's a great school. And I'm like, yeah, but so are all these others. Why is it a great school? What makes it a great school for you personally? And they kind of draw a blank. And I don't blame them. Like, I want to be really clear that the process feels very overwhelming. And so the rankings are uh, a way to simplify it. It's not a great way. I don't think much of the rankings. There's so many wonderful institutions that don't rank highly, um, but it, it's it's in their panic. That's how they're trying to simplify things. So how do you push someone to kind of think more deeply about whether you're, I mean, because I can't imagine that either of you feel like you have to like sell people on your institutions. You're representing the institution. You're not selling them on it. So how do you represent it to try and find that right match? Like, what do you try and get them to think about? And why don't we start with Matt this time? And then yeah, go. sure. 
So I would say I, when I'm having this conversation with students, whether I'm on the road traveling or meeting students on, on campus who might be here for a visit, is I'd say one of the many things that makes Princeton unique that is going to be a part of every student's experience here is our um, senior thesis and emphasis on independent work. And I, mm -hmm. I say that because regardless of what a student is studying here, they are required to do a thesis. They will get involved in, in research. And if someone is less eager to do that or is less excited about sort of creating this new knowledge in addition to their classroom work, then Princeton might not be a good fit for you. And so having an understanding of not only what opportunities we have here for study abroad and organizations and living experiences, because that's all a huge part of your college experience, is what is that one common thing um, for every student that's that's going to be a part of the Princeton experience? And I would say that that is, is research. And so we talk a lot about that. It's what we, we look for, strong writing in our applications. We have a graded written paper that you need to submit when you apply to Princeton. So it's sort of a part of every piece of our process, but certainly something that we talk about with prospective students. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right, Isabel, what what uh, would you say? I mean, it's a great question. And I think something that in the roles that we inhabit, we don't honestly have to think about too much. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, I also, you know, coming from an institution that like we're aware of the rankings, but that's not why we make the choices we do around mm -hmm you know, curriculum or programs or things like that. Um, and so I think I agree with you that I think rankings are good, can be a helpful place for people to start. Um, but I want to make sure that people push past them, right? I mm -hmm. really hope when you're admitted at two great places, you're not choosing one because it happens to be ranked, you know, mm -hmm. two or five spots above another. That that feels mm -hmm. like not a good use of that. Um, but, you know, at Dartmouth, we're very much a place where, you know, there isn't this like singular defined path to Dartmouth or through Dartmouth. You know, we're known for our flexibility, not just the academic calendar, but just, you know, we love it when students want to kind of mash up academic disciplines. There's so many double majoring or modifying your major here. You know, it's not point A to point B to point C. If you're thinking about point A to 12 to I don't know, some other integer symbol or something, great. That's really cool and interesting. And so I think that that almost doesn't completely fit with someone who is purely really focused on rankings and this input and that mm -hmm. input. Um, and so that's what I mean that, or I think we all mean where there are so many wonderful institutions to get phenomenal educations at, but the way that we do that, the way we mm -hmm. deliver it, the approach um, can really vary. And it's a wonderful thing because it can meet different students who want to approach their academics and their college experience in different ways. So it's actually wonderful that we have so many different types of institutions. So, you know, for us, I think we like people who want to kind of look at a problem or a challenge, break it apart, think about different ways to put it back together. We almost like people who who are willing to kind of break the intellectual rules a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's really exciting for our faculty. They love students who want to take risks, who are willing to fail, um, because that's where a lot of the growth happens when you're in those uncomfortable moments. And that's where you can push um, and really grow to kind of new heights. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I think that's a perfect a uh, place to take a break. So we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. 
Little Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're still here with Matt and Isabel. And I think that um, we've got a good transition now to admissions. Like as Isabel talks about things like risk takers, Matt, as you talk about things like interest in research, um, obviously you're going to be looking for students and embrace that kind of thing. So Isabel, maybe we'll start with you and you can kind of talk about what you are. I mean, and let me just back up and say, obviously you expect top grades in incredibly rigorous curriculum and like that's a given, right? But let's go kind of beyond that to those personal qualities because that's really the hardest part, I think, for families to understand. Um, you know, what, like, how does someone stand out in your pool when, you know, all A's and five APs in the junior year is not going to stand out? It's not going to stand out. It's going to be normal. You it's know, just, I'm going to go rogue a little, hopefully. Okay. You, can go rogue. you can go rogue. But I think I just want to back up a second and, and say, and just remind folks that these college admissions decisions are not an arbiter of if you're going to be successful in life, yes. if you're a good person, um, if, you know, you are smart or I just, there is, they've turned into these kind of tokens mm-hmm. um, of, of symbolism. And I, you know, as students and families are making choices around how to spend time in high school, um, what classes to pursue, what activities to pursue. Um, I totally recognize the importance of a college degree. I believe in it. I believe that college can be a transformative moment in so many different ways in a young person's life, but really challenging folks to not do something purely for the impact that it will have on the college admissions process. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it just, you're, you're losing out on so much, mm-hmm. um, and the way that activities or academic choices have an impact on the admissions process is how it's actually impacted the student, um, how it's changed them, how it's opened up kind of new doorways for things that they're curious about or passionate about, um, And the reality is far more students stand out in our pool than we ultimately admit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's, it's a challenging question to answer because first of all, you know, you, you say one thing and people kind of feel like that is better than something else. Um, But it may not be the better choice for that particular student. Um, And so I think, you know, it's so generic and, and um, but, you know, doing things that students enjoy, that they're passionate about, not being afraid to stop doing something and try something new, mm-hmm. worrying about like, well, I haven't done it for four years. I'm not showing commitment. No, that's okay. That's showing the confidence and the the kind of knowledge in yourself to say, this isn't quite what I thought it would be or wanted it to be. And so I'm going to try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, there really isn't, you know, a right or wrong pathway into these institutions. And you mentioned like, oh, obviously top grades, but some kids have a bobble in their grades for really valid reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're not making, you know, a choice about, you know, someone who has all A's or oh, had an A minus or oh, a B plus. Like right. I mean, that shows this willingness to maybe try something. Um, and just that that idea of not not just working for the grade, for the external validation of it, but for the experience, for the learning, for how it kind of opens your mind up um, to future possibilities. I recognize that is not super helpful, tangible advice. But if I had a better answer for that, I would probably be a billionaire. But <laughs> not how our processes work as much as people want them to. Um, so I don't know, Matt, maybe you have a better answer for that. But I I just I think a lot about this and how it affects the mental health of students mm-hmm. um, and really trying to find um to find balance and and wellness in this whole process as much as humanly possible. Mm. And I echo everything you 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 said, um, Isabel. And I, I think those are all incredibly important points. I I guess I'll sort of think about it in a different way. So, and and think more towards the the application itself and why we ask for the things we do because mm-hmm. um, I think both of us here both 
Dartmouth and Princeton have supplements and additional information that we ask of, of applicants. So for students who are going through the process or about to, you will most likely fill out the common application, which is the document that goes to every single school for the most part that you will be applying to. Um, many, many institutions like the two of ours require additional info. And that is where we have control over the questions we ask and the information that we get to, to learn about you. And I would argue that this is the most critical piece of the, um, of the, the process. Most places, they are not academic questions. Again, we care about your academic success and your potential for success in our classrooms and on our campus, but we are looking to get to know you as people um, and the perspective that you're going to bring to our, not only our classrooms, but also to our, our residence halls and, and to our organizations and to our, our clubs. So I would say that a school supplement can be very reflective, not only of a school's personality, but the um, the qualities that they're they're looking for in in students. So at Princeton, we are asking additional questions about how you have had difficult conversations with um, someone else and how did you react to that? Because we know that your time here on campus, you're going to have, you're going to be challenged with your viewpoint. You're going to have uncomfortable conversations inside and outside the classroom, but we're looking for students who are able to do that in a respectful and thoughtful way. And so our questions hopefully pull out those characteristics that we think are important as we build a class every year. Um, civic engagement is an important part of the Princeton experience. And so we ask for um, for you to reflect on, or for applicants to reflect on how they've engaged in service work and what it means to them and what they might do in the future around that topic. So I think as you are going through the application process, taking a hard look at a school supplement, the questions that they're asking. And we're not just asking you this because we want you to write more essays. We're asking you because we hope and we think that they'll pull out the characteristics that should be important in, in this process for us. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to highlight something that I think you both have referred to, which is just that kind of intellectual engagement on the part of students. So it's not it's it's and that doesn't necessarily mean perfect grades, although obviously grades are one element of one measure of that. But so it's not just academic success, it's intellectual engagement. It's actual like joy and pleasure in learning that'll make you engage with the community. And the students who can demonstrate that in the application are certainly going to be read favorably, even if they're not ultimately admitted just because of numbers. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's yeah. a fair, very fair characterization. Mm -hmm. So and I actually think that is could be a point of distinction for a student, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, it's I'm not saying it's easy to get good grades, but there are a lot of applicants who have very strong academic records. Um, and so when there's also kind of something else happening, you know, up here, right? And you, I mean, I I've also I just want to reiterate that you can show kind of intellectual curiosity through all sorts of different topics, mm -hmm. right? You know, like I, I've read essays about students kind of musing on the different um, genres of music that they like to listen to and why and how that's led them down random paths. I mean, you know, video game and gaming world and all of that and how that connects to kind of how societies or groups are formed and interpersonal dynamics. I mean, literally someone could talk about their leadership in an online Smash Brothers community. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. You might be interested in anthropology or sociology. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah. don't feel like it has to be confined to the classes that you're taking, um, you really can show that life of the mind in a lot of different ways um, in terms of how you're engaging with the world around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to echo, I mean, you alluded to this, Isabel, but I think there is this idea that you have to have tangible experiences, say like in a lab, if you are interested in the sciences. And we understand that that is not an opportunity available to every student across the United States and across the world. And it's how you're talking about things, like Isabel said, not just what you've you've done. We ask for your list of extracurricular activities, but we are not basing our decisions on what you've done, but how are you reflecting on those experiences and, and how that might impact what you do once you get to our campus. Yeah, and I'm, I want to ask you two a few simplistic questions just because these are such persistent myths. First off, are internships required? As of applicants, not. no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, like, I'm like, internships are very hard to get for high school students. Yes. Internships are not magic. You could do nope. amazing things just through something that's called volunteering, you know, like 
I mean, you could label anything an internship. Right, exactly. <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. The, but it's labeled or called. I'm more interested in like the what and then the the mm. why or the so mm. what. Like what was the impact or what did it make you think or feel or all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, of course. So again, like this is like, I'm taking advantage of you two being here to, to bust some myths, but this one comes up a lot that they've got to find an internship mm-hmm. and they're almost impossible to find. And mm-hmm. sometimes parents of ninth graders are looking for internships and I'm like, you are definitely not going to find one because that's just <laughs> not going to happen. So um, the other thing is that undergraduate research is required. Or, or, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say undergraduate Gosh. research as a high school student. No. Yeah. No, and definitely think, not. Yeah. And it's, it's really important because I think there's some folks who are really interested in doing academic research or knowledge mm-hmm. creation, but are mm-hmm. nervous because they feel like they haven't had that experience in high school and they're not going to be poised to enter that at the collegiate level. Um, and that's just simply and totally not true. And also many faculty members may have a distinct approach to their research, right? And so it will depend on if you're entering into someone else's research, if you're doing your own research that is funded by the institution. So there's so many different entry points and it's not just freshman year either. I mean, you can literally decide, wake up senior year and you want to do research period or try something in a different field. Um, Lots of access for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I know I talked about research at, at Princeton. That is a requirement once you're here. It is certainly not a requirement for admission, you know. And I, I think it's worth just at least mentioning that there are every student's extracurricular list is going to look very different. And I do think, Sally, as you were saying, that there's this idea that certain activities carry more weight than than others and that schools highly selective schools like Princeton and, and Dartmouth are looking for those specific things for for us to admit them and that is certainly not the case we know that there are students who might have to have a job because they need to help support the family or they have to go home after school to help take care of a sibling and there is merit in both of those those things and so we're not putting weight on one over another they are, are different and how they're talking how students are talking about that or or how they connect it with what they want to do, or as Isabel said, the why is is what's most important in our process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's and let's highlight that, like how they are able to, like I'm I'm always trying to talk to student about, you know, you have very limited real estate to communicate to the colleges who you are. So sort of being able to express what matters to you, not just through your essay, but through your extracurriculars and even to a limit, a more limited degree, because in high school, a lot of your courses are dictated, like the choices that you've made. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that's accurate? Like that's forming a narrative. Cause I know that I, when I was an admission officer at university of Chicago, I kind of would think like, this is the student who loves philosophy you know, like I, you would sort of like look for that consistent narrative. Not that, as you said, Isabel, there couldn't be changes partway through, but you wanted to kind of understand sometimes if there was a major switch, why that happened, if it wasn't obvious. But feel free to disagree. I'm very interested. Yeah, I mean, I think some kids can be described in that way, but others are not as um, straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um So I want to actually go back to, you mentioned something about kind of how you tell your story and there's so much focus on the essay and so much pressure on the essay, Mm -hmm. but there are so many other elements to the application Mm -hmm. that doesn't directly impact, but can. Um, And so I think, for example, of the letters of recommendation, whether it's a counselor letter or a teacher letter, and let's just be really clear, we are fully aware that there are nowhere near enough counselors for students Mm -hmm. in high schools, particularly in public high schools. So there are some places where they simply just won't write a letter. And that is really, you know, I, 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 I don't know, I have personal feelings about just kind of the investment in, you know, college going. Um, But I also tell students, if for some reason you can't or your counselor isn't going to write one for you, feel free to send in another one from some other Mm -hmm. adult school or community member who kind of sees you in that more macro way. But, you know, when you think about your teachers and who you're asking, you know, why are you asking them to write that letter of recommendation? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe don't just have the brag sheet or the resume that you're sharing with them, but what is it about their class or your relationship with that person that makes you think that they will be able to kind of share important contextual information about who you are, right? Did that person inspire you to kind of read a different book, to try a different activity, to continue on with math, even though it wasn't your favorite subject, but now you're going to take that harder course. So, you know, really trying to 
still prepare the others who are speaking on your behalf and be be thoughtful and intentional and then share that with them as well to best prepare them to write those letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and Sally, just go back to your, your other question. I, I will say just briefly that I think context is so important in in all of throughout this entire process, but especially around around this topic where, you know, we ask colleges ask your academic interest, what you might pursue. Um, some colleges you're applying to a specific major and we we look for proof of that or or some indication that you are able to articulate that interest throughout your application. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're talking about philosophy, there are some high schools where they offer philosophy as electives, or you can take Latin or Greek and, and the classics are a big part of the curriculum. And so, you know, you're making those choices because they have an, you have the opportunity to do that. But, you know, my public high school in Connecticut, we certainly didn't have any of those classes. And so we're reading or us reading applications from, from those um, high schools and those communities, we don't expect that to be on a student's transcript. So there are choices that students can make, um, but we also know that there are limits as to what what's available to them. And we we never hold it against a student if they don't have that opportunity to take a specific class because it's not offered at their, their high school. There are certainly other ways that they can show us that interest um, or uh, articulate what why they might pursue that on our, our campus. Yeah, actually, the student I was thinking about never took philosophy in high school, but came across a kind of philosophical Mm. text in an English class and then started reading on his own and wrote like his essay about it and how that had led him to look at different world religions. And it was this sort of amazing story. So, um, yeah, so that kind of, so, but, and part of the reason I brought up philosophy too, just so you know, is because there's so much focus on math and science and I always want to make sure people know that, like, you don't have to be a scientist or a mathematician. In fact, you can be totally undecided and get into your institutions. I would, I mean, I would argue that if you're really embracing the kind of ethos and, and rationale behind the liberal arts, that you actually should be more open-minded, right? We have lots and lots of students who indicate a major, some because they know that that's really what they're passionate about, others because they feel like they should choose something and they're worried about being undecided. Mm-hmm. But this idea of the liberal arts, of having kind of, you know, one area of focus, but really broad exposure to a wide variety of of ways about thinking about data and information and processing that in different, you know, structures and frameworks. That's how you get the most out of the education at our institutions, that open mindedness um, and still having a, you know, a future goal in mind, but being willing and open to change your mind, to realize that is not failure if you don't do the thing that you thought you were going to be when someone asked you, what are you going to be when you grow? up. Um, but to have that kind of confidence to try different things and to be open, that that is how I think you really can really make the most out of some of these amazing undergraduate experiences. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. All right. Unfortunately, I have to, um, we have to, to end now because uh, time is up, but thank you both so much. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. All right. And so I want to recommend next week's show to our audience. If you are a student with ADHD or maybe are the parent of one, we'll be interviewing Hannah Choi of Beyond Booksmart's podcast, Focus Forward. So check us out for that. And as always, we're here every week, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.